You know, I'm so excited about next weekend. Um, this Better Together conference, and we've not really had a lot of time to talk about it. And so I just want to challenge you. Please give Jolie a hand for helping us out. Wasn't she beautiful? She's taking a free admission to her parents right now. <laughs> she probably knows something we don't know. Because let's be real honest here as we start talking about this for a while, that, that marriage is really hard work. Can anybody say Amen. And that's why when a couple stands up that's been married 57, 58 years, we go, yes, that's awesome. Because we understand, and even they're married, the accomplishment behind that. And one of the problems in making marriage work is we, we live in such a crazy, busy culture with so many things out there that we don't take the time to do the hard work of marriage. We don't stop to reflect on how's it going, what could we do better? And that's what's so critical about this coming weekend. You, we're, we're simply asking you for five and a half hours, two hours on Friday night, three and a half hours on Saturday morning, to just stop and think about your marriage. We know it can be good because Greg and Aaron Smalley were here with us last year, and they were insightful and biblical and humorous and everything you'd want in a marriage conference. So we know that can be good. Let, let me say this because I get asked this about once a day. They are not doing the material they did last year, okay? Would you turn to your neighbor and say that to them right now? Because they haven't believed us. Turn to your neighbor. They are not doing the material they did last year, okay? Andy, they've not believed me or you about that. <clears throat> it, is, it is brand new material. And, and let me just say this. If, if you go next weekend and you don't really get something out of it, we'll refund your money, all right? We feel that strong about this. And so I challenge you today, you can go online to bettertogether.life. It's in your bulletin. You can go out and you can pay for check or cash in the foyer. There's even a a little pad out there you can register on. I want to encourage you. I think right now we have 35 couples from Landmark registered. But that's not near what we ought to have because this is so critical for who we are. Because here's what I say, friends. Listen to me. When Satan wants to attack this church... He attacks our marriages. That's the place that he finds us most vulnerable. And you and I both know you get on some great spiritual high and you're walking close to the Lord. And the next thing you know, you're in some argument you wish you had never gotten into and you misbehave. And so this is critical. Please be a part of that. Now, since none of you wanted to look at last year's material, obviously, that's what we're going to do this morning, okay? We're going to look back a little bit. I want to talk about what I thought was the best thing they said last year. And and, and what I labeled today's message is, today we're talking about a safe house, developing a safe house. We've all been places where we didn't feel safe and where we did feel safe. I think of the contrast between two of my grandmother's houses. One of them you would go to, Her house was not very kept, and she didn't care, and she didn't care if you messed it up. She would quickly say, I don't keep my house, my house keeps me. And she was very, very true about that. And and you would go there to her house, and you ate what you wanted to eat, and you woke up when you wanted to wake up, and if you wanted to go fishing, she took you fishing. If you wanted to go romping the streets, you, you did that. You just, it was just absolute acceptance and love, and it was just so easy. 
And then another grandparents, these were great, great people, righteous people, but it was that kind of home you were scared to do something. It's that kind of home where the, the couches were covered in plastic, all right? And the hallways had plastic down them, and everything was perfectly in place. And so for, for us, when we went there, we were always scared we were going to spill something or we were going to do something wrong. It just didn't have that feeling of safety. And in our marriages, in our homes, for us to be a thrive, we've got to be a develop what I call a safe house. Now, if you're taking notes, this is what the Smalley said last year that I thought was so powerful. The foundation of a great marriage is an open heart. Say that with me. The foundation of a great marriage is an open heart. When we stay open with each other and honest and vulnerable, we can have good marriages. And that's why Satan attacks us. Look at a couple passages here. Matthew 19, verse 8. Jesus talking about why Moses permitted you to divorce. He, Moses permitted that because your wives, because your hearts were hard. They had developed hard hearts to each other and, and as a concession, not the will of God. Moses had permitted divorce. That was not God's will. And that's why the book of Proverbs, look at this next passage, says to us, above all else, you've got to guard your heart for everything flows from it. And when it comes to our marriages and our homes, everything's going to flow from this safe place in our heart. So let me give you another definition here. What, what is emotional safety? Because that's what we're wanting to have. A, a safe house. Here's emotional safety. Feeling free to open up and reveal who you really are and know that your spouse will still love and accept you. That's how closeness happens, isn't it? Now, if if you're checking out on me this morning because you're not married, please let me reel you back in for a moment because the principles we're talking about here are just as true in a deep friendship or in a good church as they are in marriage, okay? So it, it goes across the board, all right? I mean, you, you know when you begin to develop a friendship that, that what you do is, is you meet someone and, and you begin to get close to them and you reveal a little bit about who you are and, and, and everything seems to go good and, and then you open the door a little bit more and you reveal a little bit more and before long, you're sharing your secrets. Before long, you're sharing the things that aren't too nice about you. Now, the moment you do that, And in that friendship, they reject you, or they critique you, or they don't accept you, you quickly shut it down. And and, and the same is true in marriage. The same is true in church. Many, many people are not in church today because the house of God was not a safe house. They came to church, they wanted to do better, but the moment they mentioned their marriage was on the rock, or they had an addiction they didn't want to have, or they were struggling with a sin issue, they begin to feel the cold arm of the people of God, and they didn't feel safe, and that's why they're not here today. So this idea of emotional safety is so incredibly important. Now let's talk then about what closes your heart. It, it, It goes with what we're saying. It's when we don't feel emotionally safe. It's a natural reaction when you're in the presence of somebody or somebody's where you walk in the room and you feel like, oh my goodness, if I mess up, if I spill something, man, I'm going to be in big time trouble. They're going to kill me. If I told this church 
how what I really did this week, they tell me to leave this place. It, it, my spouse, you know, saw the worst in me and rejected me. I love the illustration they used last year was that we're like roly-polies. Don't you love that? And the moment we feel that emotionally unsafe, the roly-poly closes up. You ever been there? You didn't, you didn't determine that. You didn't ask for that. It's just what naturally happens when you don't feel safe. And before long, you're these two roly-polies, you know, rolling around your house. Now, I, I might even say we're, we're, we're sort of like bumper cars, you know. You're trying to avoid them, but every once in a while you bump into each other. But there's no openness, there's no honesty, there can really be no love in that situation because the safety level has been brought down. And here's the choice we're left with. The choice is either we have safety and openness and intimacy. That, that's one choice. You, you feel close to the people you share your life with, you share your feelings with, who know your failures, who know the worst about you. That's the most beautiful thing about marriage, when it's at its best. Because once you're married, we all know this, no matter how hard you try to cover up your faults, I mean, you were you able to do it through your dating life, all right? You, you did a pretty good job, but then you got married and everything was exposed. And you, you couldn't cover up some of those things that you didn't want anybody to know about you. Or maybe you didn't really even know about yourself till you got in that position. The beauty of marriage is when you can be open about that and there's safety and then there's intimacy because the person who knows the worst about you loves you the most. That's an amazing combination. And we all know that feeling when we're there. Now, on the other hand, our choice can be this. We can have an unsafe house, we can close up, and then we can react to each other. And that's the danger. God said, the, the, no marriages are stress-free. No marriages do you all see everything eye to eye. If someone tells you they've never had an argument, you could look at them and know they're liars, right? So, so it, it, it's how we handle this. Now, why do we close up? The number one reason that someone feels unsafe. This is so simple, but so, so important today. The number one reason that someone feels unsafe is criticism. Okay, when we're, when we're exposed and we already feel insecure because they've seen the worst, and then there's that barrage of constant criticism, we, we begin, that roly-poly begins to close up rather quickly, doesn't it? I like what I heard one young couple learn from the seminar last year. Instead of criticizing each other, change your language. I didn't like what you did. Why did you do that? I don't... It was just a, a, a small change in terminology they learned at the seminar last year, but changed their marriage. When something happens they're not so sure about, they simply ask, would you help me understand this? I'm not quite there right now. I don't want to criticize you about it because that's going to close things up. I just want to understand. And guys, let me say this about, about marriage or any relationship. 
understanding is more important than agreement. You don't always have to come out agreeing on everything, but you do have to come out at least understanding where the other comes from. So you see, if we're not careful, we get in that reactionary cycle. I can remember points in Stephanie and I's marriage where we got in that cycle, and I, I can remember the day that Stephanie said to me, I don't, I don't feel safe with you. And she had reason to feel that way. And when you get there, you begin to, to, that distance begins to build. And you've got to do something to bring that back together. You've got to reestablish a place of safety. Because the problem happens, and write this down, when the reactive cycle closes my heart, we get caught in this cycle of, of disagreement and criticism and disagreement and criticism, and we become safe and we begin to close all up. It's so easy to happen because when you get married, you know each other well enough. You've learned what the sensitive areas are for each other. And so you get in that argument or you get in that dispute or offhandedly, you push that button. We've all got buttons, don't we? And when our spouse pushes that button, if we're not careful, we quickly react. It's easy to happen in the area of life. It becomes unsafe. Anybody watch the Republican debate last night? You think Donald Trump and Jeb Bush pushed each other's buttons? I mean, it was crazy, the anger on that stage. They knew exactly where to get to each other, whether it's to criticize the brother's decision to go to Iraq or Trump's decision to, to, to force a woman to sell her house in Atlantic City. And they begin to push those buttons, and you just, you just saw this anger. And guys, that can happen with any of us. Because what happens is when you begin to push those buttons and you begin to get in that reactive cycle and you begin to be those two roly-polies just bumping in each other through the day, instead of being best friends like marriage is intended to be, you actually become adversaries. And that's not what you want. Because here's what happens. This is so practical. When we begin to get in this mode, we either fight or we flight. That's what it makes us do. We fight or we run. Now, most of our personalities are different about that. Well, what, what does it mean? Okay, something comes up we don't agree with, we don't like, we've got on each other's nerves, we didn't do what we wanted to do. The person who fight engages the spouse thinking, we got to get this straight, I want to straighten this out right now. And, and, and in fact, the person who's on the fight end of things ends up often being a little ugly, even demeaning. And they, be, they begin to, they're really wanting intimacy, but they're reacting the wrong way. Because of their hurt, they begin to, to, begin to, to, to fight about it and press about it and want it to be straightened out right there in the moment. Let me tell you, that's, that's my personality. I'm a fighter. I hate to say that. And when you get in that combative state, often, if you're not careful, you end up being the one trying to win. Instead of the one trying to resolve things. And then on the flight end of things, your reaction to when things go wrong is, is to become the roly-poly. Your reaction is to run, to shut down, to get quiet, to, to not talk. What a combination. You avoid the conflict by your withdrawal. Now, now listen, there's a problem with both ends. The, the person who's fighting is communicating to their spouse, 
I'm not, I'm really not safe for meaningful interaction because when we get to that level, I don't mean to, but I go for the jugular. And, and, and what you're saying to your spouse is, it's not safe to really talk with them. Now, the flight person is doing the same thing, just in a different way. You're saying to your spouse, I don't want to engage with you. That's one of the big challenges early on in our marriage is because we both have very strong personalities. We once went to a marriage seminar where they gave personality tests and the the leader of it later said, you know, about 90% of the marriages between two personalities like y'all don't make it because you're both very strong-willed, just in very different ways. But like I said earlier, I was the fighter and Stephanie was the flighter. You know, I, I, I believed you, you I, let's say we had a conflict. I was okay the moment we finally talked about it. Stephanie was okay until we talked about it. Okay? You ever been there? And we both were in this thing where, where, where I, me, for me, it's just the moment something goes wrong, it's like, babe, we got to get this straight. What's the solution? Let's come up with a solution. Let's work this thing. And so I would become rather pushy, which just brought out more of the flight in her, which just didn't work. And so you get in that position, you begin to fight, and you, you begin to fly. The, the sad thing about both ends of those, those perspectives is that it, it destroys intimacy. But because it, either you become the unsafe person to talk to, or you say to your spouse, I don't feel safe enough, I don't want to talk to you. So how do we build a safe house? How do we do better than this? Let's, let's look at Ephesians 5, verse 29. And Paul's in that middle of that great passage on, on marriage. He says, For no one ever hated his own flesh, but he nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. You see, our example is the way Christ loved the church. We are to love each other. And those, are, those are two good words there, two great words. Cherish and nourish. The word cherish is an attitude. It's an attitude of warmth. Now let's talk about each one of these. Let me give you some practical things to do before you walk out of here today. Cherish. Make a list of things you value about your spouse. Make that list of things you really love about your spouse. Now, now here's the deal, guys. Listen to me. If you've been married longer than three days, you already know some really good things about your spouse, and you already know some really bad things. You have two lists. All of us have two lists because we're all frail human beings, right? Now, the success of your marriage to large part will be determined by which of those lists you focus on. So here, if you're going to cherish, if you're going to have an attitude of of cherishing your spouse, well, then what you must do is, is you must consistently make that list of the things you really love about your spouse. I think about my wife, and I think about the things I value about her. Sometimes when I get in my fight and she gets in her flight mode, I forget. I love her tender heart. I love the way she serves people. She just would do anything for anybody, especially me. I love the way she's been so strong in raising our children. I love how complimentary and encouraging she can be. I love the way 
she can walk in any situation and make friends and carry on great conversations and make people feel at home. Now, friends, that's what I need to do. I need to focus on those things. You need to make that list and cherish those great things about your spouse because if you're not careful, what Satan's going to do is Satan's going to cover those things up because you had that conflict where you saw the worst side of your spouse. And you forget that. The other word is nourish. That's not an attitude. That's an action. It's the way you treat your spouse. Here's the practical instruction here this morning for you on this. Make a list of things your spouse does that makes you feel loved. This is where you help your spouse out. This is where you make that list and say, you know, when you did this the other day, this really was, I felt loved. Now, we all have different love languages. So it might be different. Here's, here's the temptation in marriage is that, that I give my spouse what really I want. That sounds natural because if, if words of affirmation are what really makes you feel good about yourself, then, then you give words of affirmation where really maybe that's not their love language. Maybe their love language is when you go wash the dishes, you know, when you serve, when you do the laundry. I mean, look down some things. What is it you could say to your spouse? Is it physical affection? Is it encouragement? For some people, it's just, it doesn't have to be special. I just want your time. Listen to this. Listen to this statistic. Given out last year in the seminar. Average American couple spends four minutes a day speaking to each other. Four minutes. If you could just increase that five times to 20 minutes. For many of us, it would greatly improve our marriage. Some of us, what makes us feel important is when, when our spouse asks our opinion, asks us a question. Last year when we did that, that's one of the things Stephanie said to me, is, is, is when you ask my opinion on things, that makes me feel loved. When you serve them, for some of us, the thing that makes us feel closer than anything else is, is when we pray together. For some, it, it, it's gift giving, which obviously some of you have blown today. I mean, it's gift giving. But so, so make that list, make that list and give this one to your spouse and let them know. Now, even if you cherish and you nourish, let's all be honest, there are moments where you go back to ground zero and you begin to react and you begin to fight or flight or a combination of both. And, and that's why this last word today is really important. You need to reestablish You need to reestablish that safe place. When you start reacting, pause and reestablish openness. Pause and reestablish openness. How do you do that? Let me give you a couple ideas. Number one, you say, okay, we've gotten this way. I can't talk right now. But can, can we just pull off for 15 minutes and then get back together? Or pull off for an hour and get back together? For the fighter, they need to know you're getting back together to talk about it. For the flight person, you need to force yourself that eventually there's going to be some conversation. And so, so when things begin to get bad and words begin to fly that you didn't really want to say, you've you got to hit the pause button, not the sensitive button. One of the, one of the turning points of our marriage was taking a pause. We, we were locked in on a fight about something we couldn't get past is the moment we finally said to each other, okay, we, we've been arguing about this thing for weeks. Let's do this. Stephanie, you tell me my side, 
And Stephanie said to me, buddy, you tell me my side. Let, let's, let's, let's swap places. Tell me what I'm thinking, why I think that way, why I feel this way. Don't, don't try to defend yourself in this. You just for a moment put yourself in my shoes and try to explain. And then, then, then I'll do the same. That was, that was a great moment in our marriage. It's a subject that if we started talking about even to this day, we would have different memories and different ideas about it. But we found out in that it, we didn't have to agree. But it was amazing when I heard her give my position and why I felt the way I did and why certain things had hurt me and certain things had helped me and why my memory was different. And it helped me so much, helped her so much when I took the time instead of giving my, trying to get my point across and fix this thing to go, baby, this is the way I've made you feel. And I understand that you feel this way, you remember this, and this is the way to, it was, it was earth shattering. It was awesome. And so I encourage you, pause and rebuild. So let's, let's talk just to conclude. What we're talking about here this morning is building a safe house. What Satan wants is for your house to not be a safe place. And maybe this morning this is really hitting you because you, you know there's something wrong going on. You feel it. It's, it's the tension's in the air. But you hadn't put your finger on it. That's where the seminar helped me so much last week, that is the, the last year, is to put my finger on, here's the big issue. We've got to create safety. And many of us, this is hard because maybe you grew up in a home that you didn't feel safe. Where your parents were always fighting or, or there wasn't a, a, an atmosphere of openness where everything was swept under the carpet where that, or, or, or you were constantly criticized. I, I don't know what it was, but... But I'm sorry about that. I know that makes this hard. Some of us grew up in churches that, that were very unsafe. You couldn't tell your opinion about a Bible matter in a Bible class because if yours was different than the, the, the general idea, you'd get beaten up. And if you'd come to the front row and you'd confessed your sin, people would have been in shock like they didn't have sin. So we got to create safe houses. And let me say this right now as we conclude. The thing I love the most about this church is that I believe this is a safe house. And guys, that that didn't happen overnight. And it's something we got to continue to create. But what that means is someone can open up and reveal to us the worst about themselves and still feel loved and accepted. That doesn't mean you're okay with their sin. They wouldn't be opening up up about it if they were okay about it. They recognize it as being wrong, but they've got to come to a place where they can mention their sin issue, or they can mention, mention their struggle in their marriage, or they can mention how upset they are that they're still single, or they can mention the trial they're in the middle of, or the thing they said the other day they shouldn't have said, and they, they know they will be loved and accepted. And if you're looking for a church this morning, there's so many choices out there. And if I could tell you the reason I think Landmark might be the best choice for you is because I know by the Holy Spirit of God that this is a safe house. I see it happen every Sunday and every week. 
It's a place of safety. It's a place where we can be honest enough and open enough, but still know we're loved and accepted and people are not going to condemn us. They're going to come alongside us because they're sinners too. And you don't have to come in here like a roly-poly. Oh, great. Don't let anybody know what's going on. Don't tell them what happened this week. Don't tell them you're struggling with that. Just, no, no, no. That's not the kind of church we want to be. Because those kind of churches are fake. Those kind of churches don't reach people that are hurting. They might even grow. But it's a bunch of fake people encouraging each other in their fakeness. We don't want to be that. We want to be a safe place. Listen to this Proverbs, Proverbs 18, 10, I love it. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and they are, listen to the word, safe. They're safe. Repeat these words. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it. And they are safe. Did you notice the word there? They're safe. And you know what you do when you find a place of safety? Whether it's your marriage, your friendship, or a small group, or a church, you run to it. Because my friends, we live in an extremely critical age. We rip people for left or right, all over the airways. We rip people, sometimes even the church. We go to a Bible class and we decide it's our job to critique the teacher. Or we go to service, it's our job to critique the service. Or we go and we're just, we have become so great at being critiquers. And I'm telling you, until we get over that, we're not going to have the safety that people have got to have. And we we got to buck one of the most negative things about our, our, our culture today is the way we critique people. And it, even if we're not careful, it slips in among God's people. And we need to say to each other, this is a safe place. Not because of us, but because the name of the Lord is a strong tower. This is a safe place, and you can run to it. We're about to sing one of my favorite songs, because I think it says what we're trying to say today, which is the greatest commandment. And if today you need to come to God, or you need to come to his people, or for some reason Satan's tried to convince you this is not a safe place, so you come Sunday after Sunday covering up what's really going on when you really need some help. I'm telling you, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. Here's what righteous people do. They run to it and they are safe. If you need to run to it today, why don't you run while we stand and sing?